Hello, I'm Steve Evans. And I'm Alex Crow. Welcome to Talk of the Times, the Canberra Times conversational podcast. Steve and I are down at the Fairbairn Pines Plantation with Canberra Times crime reporter Peter Brewer and journalist and historian Nicole Overall. And we're here because of a weird, terrible event a long time ago. Peter, paint the picture. Steve, we're out here in the Fairburn Pine Forest and and, um, almost 50 years ago a grave crime was committed in Canberra where a young 20-year-old woman went missing. It was the opening day of the, the Canberra show back in 1971. She had sought to go to a party at the Statesman Hotel that night and she never came to the party. She went missing. Her vehicle was found parked on the side of the road in Campbell, out of petrol. And some months later, her body was found here in the forest. And it's a it's a pretty lonely place to die out here. We understand there was somewhat of a struggle out here and her killer has never been found. So we're in this plantation, not so far from the airport, between the airport and Queanbeyan. Karen Rowland's body was found pretty well near here. Why has it been reopened now? We're nearing the, uh, the 50th anniversary of her death. Police only this week uh, came out with metal detectors to examine the crime scene yet again. Many people have been questioned. The killer has never been found. It's just one of those, those great unsolved cold cases of Canberra. And metal detectors, why? What are they looking for? Ostensibly, they were looking for one particular piece of evidence which was unaccounted for, and that's a, uh, a particular bracelet that Karen Rowland had bought for a friend and was wearing, believed to be wearing. That was the only item which they understood was on her person but was never recovered. Nicole, you have been researching this case for a long time. Now, we know Karen was five months pregnant at the time of her murder. What else do we know about Karen and her family? Well, Karen, uh, as Peter just mentioned, she was only 20 years old. She was a receptionist working at the Prosser Pool in Deakin, which was a very popular place uh, in 1971. And she lived with her family, Dad Jeff, Mum Hazel, and her younger sister and brother over in the suburb of Downer. She was a a normal, you know, vibrant girl described by those who knew her that I've had the opportunity to speak with as happy-go-lucky. She had a good social circle. Um, She had, uh, you know, content in her job. Um, She also had had a boyfriend for about a year or so um, and they'd recently become engaged in uh, sort of mid-1970. And unexpectedly, Karen found out that she was pregnant in November of that year. And unfortunately, um, the relationship broke down after that point. Um, Karen suffered a little bit, obviously, as as you would. You're a young woman and you think that you're going to be a a single mum. So, you know, she, she had sort of gone through some some anguish and trauma about that but she was back on her feet Um, she had a really supportive family they were very close everything was uh, you know back on track for her she was actually as was her family very excited about the pregnancy and then that evening of uh, February 26 1971 she was on her way out to an evening with her sister and some friends and as Peter mentioned 
car found abandoned though locked the following morning and it was actually almost three months before Karen's body was found uh, pretty much near this location that we're standing in now. The police would have looked at the boyfriend very quickly but he's been ruled out he had an alibi. That's correct, yes. So obviously it's uh, they interviewed all of those who, who knew her and uh, who knew her well and close. And yes, the boyfriend would have been questioned by police quite early and he did have an alibi and uh, he was with another person on the evening so he was ruled out very quickly as, uh, as any potential involvement. Was the murder weapon discovered? No, and even the cause of death to this day isn't completely verified. And that's the thing that we're finding and what I've found... Um, investigating all of this and bringing together literally these jigsaw puzzles when you're talking about not just years but decades trying to um, unearth and sift through changing information and from the very first uh, the reports that were coming out um, that were appearing in the Canberra Times such a, a variation in what was being presented to the public. You know, the police reports, the witness statements differed. I've got one witness statement where um, a girlfriend and boyfriend in the same car virtually saw entirely different things. So we're dealing with all of those, you know, memories, recollections, the passing of time. So none of it has come together easily. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do my podcast on it was um, I wound up writing 22,000 words. I originally thought, look, you know, I'll just put down it as an article, but it's been 22,000 words. And I wanted to be able to properly convey what is known fact, because also inevitably over all of this time, urban myths and legends. And, you know, I heard uh, just another one the other night. What was the... I'm just intrigued. What was the false, false urban myth that you heard? Well, that's one of the the things that people who know this this area very well, Fairburn Pine Plantation, um, of course, is the Canberra Air Disaster Memorial from the plane crash that occurred here in 1940. And uh, 10 of of some of the most high-ranking government officials at the time uh, were killed up here. So for years, it's been a place with Uh, many stories of hauntings and being haunted and all of that folklore and of course in later years there was suggestion of a female ghost who was seen up here and of course everybody linked that back to Karen being found but all of those details became skewed and warped over time and the one that I was told the other night is that there's a grid as you a cattle grid as you come into this area and the old story was that um the ghost of a woman was seen underneath the grid but I actually had that uh, further broadened on Tuesday evening because I was told by a, a bloke who said that he used to come and hang around here a bit when he was a teenager as many of them did and the story at the time went that he, he didn't say that it was Karen that it was known to be Karen at the time but that a woman had been found murdered underneath that grid and they at the police apparently couldn't figure out how she'd been placed there because of course all sealed and too small for a body to be in that situation and that a crane had to be brought in to remove the grid in order to remove the body of course none of that is even remotely true good story though great story we do know that she had been attempting to flee the vehicle is that correct there were items of her things missing and she was found her body was found slumped up against a tree 
differing theories on that, whether she was trying to flee or more likely that she was probably dragged from the vehicle, so whether she had already been killed at that point. In the autopsy report and the coroner's inquiry, it actually stated that they couldn't state what the cause of death was, but in all likelihood through the forensic evidence that I've managed to uncover and go through, in all likelihood she was strangled. But yes, there were certainly items that had been left in a line almost leading to her body, which wasn't terribly well um, covered or disguised. She wasn't in a grave. She was yeah, literally pushed up uh, against a couple of trees and covered with um, debris and, and bracken. And Peter, ACT police called you out here this week. What did you learn? The site of where Karen's body had been found all those years ago was taped off with police tape and there were police search and rescue chaps with um, metal detectors wandering around, sifting through the earth, shovels, looking at metal, finding bits. There's lots of bits and pieces of metal all through here, of course, and they were turning over bits of metal and and examining them and, and discarding them. It could have been a bit of a show, to be honest, for the media. Which is fair enough. I mean, reawakening memories is what cold cases are often about. Absolutely, Steve. Solving cold cases is all about trying to find those people, that one person, two, three people, with a little bit of recollection, a little bit of knowledge that have never come forward before, and they see something or they read something or they hear something and they go, you know, maybe I should just contact Crime Stoppers or just give the cops a call and just tell them that I think I saw something that night. And has it worked? Police have come forward and said that uh, all the publicity surrounding the events of this week have brought three new reports through to them which they hadn't had before. Nicole, sexual motive? Look, that's really difficult to determine as well. And again, the changing reports were that uh, at the time when it was reported on that she wasn't sexually assaulted. But again, the more you analyse all of this evidence and, and what actually took place, my personal view is that she was sexually assaulted. Um, But, of course, you're talking about 50 years ago and she had been out in the open for almost three months. But I I believe that that there most likely was. And, Nicole, the police have ruled out the ex-boyfriend. Nicole, do you have a theory? I do, and for that, Alex, you're definitely going to have to listen to the podcast. The thing is that there are other parties and people who have been of interest over the time. One of those and one that's caused a little bit of fuss is a suggestion that Ivan Malat, the backpacker killer, may have been involved. Certainly uh, Clive Small, who was the lead detective of of the task force that arrested Malat, he was um, not certain, but he was quite vocal about the fact that he believed that Karen Rowland may well have been Ivan Malat's first victim. One thing I know from the family's point of view, who obviously I have spent a great deal of time with and interviewed as part of all of this, their concern is that there's too much of a focus on the potential Malat angle and that may see other suspects, other avenues of investigation overlooked or toned down. On which note, obviously if you're listening and you've got information, talk to the police. They need that information. Nicole Overall, Peter Brewer, thank you both very much. The first episode of Nicole's podcast featuring Karen Rowland came out this week, Capital Crime Files. Get it on your usual podcast supplier, along with, of course, 
talk of the times. See you next week.